welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, what's up, everybody? I know, I know, you forgot my voice. But welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. I needed a break. There's no other way to say it. I had to I had to have some some family time, some me time, and I'm back. I'm officially two days in the range as I'm doing this podcast, which I kinda wanted. Normally I kinda kick off my indoor season. A little bit sooner than this. However, my hunting season was a little bit more hectic this year than in years past. So I needed a little bit more time before I felt like I was refreshed and ready. That's my R&R. Refreshed and ready for, I don't know, to kind of reset and kick off everything once again. Starting back in the range polishing getting my crap in order and and kind of identifying all the the crummy habits I've made throughout the last six months chasing animals around so I really don't know where to start I've got some awesome questions from you guys that I've been holding and waiting for some podcasts I've got a couple different uh, podcast guests coming up here over the next week that I think uh, will have some good podcast content, people that are coming to hang out and do a little bit of shooting with me and kind of work on getting their bows set up and so forth. So that's always good to have subject matter when it's fresh in your head. One of the things that's hard for me is talking about things that are target-oriented, you know, or technique-oriented when I'm really not in that frame of mind it was easy to do hunting podcasts however i did i did limit the number of podcasts that i was doing during the hunting season just because i really wanted to make sure i was enjoying those for for what i do enjoy out of hunting and that's the experience and getting to take it all in and and not i don't know i didn't want to over consume it with just trying to make work out of it, so to speak, by always having to do a podcast. And, you know, when the when everybody was in the mood and the time was right, we did it. Um, a lot of times other people wanted to do them more than I did, so that's what happened. It'd be kind of cool at some point maybe to go back and recap some of these some of these cool hunts with some of my buddies as the season unfolds. I know that a lot of people that I've been uh, – working with and training with and everything over this past year people I've done custom bow builds with they're all really passionate about doing some indoor archery and a lot more training leading up to hunting season again so I'm going to be a lot more um, I guess a lot more adamant and quote-unquote a lot more professional about you know, talking a little bit more through those moments and getting some, a lot more videos as I'm taking people 
you know, getting them into their first bow or doing a bow build or, or things like that. We're making a lot of adjustments here um, at our HQ for me to be able to do that. It's next to impossible for me to do it on my own. So I'm really trying to do my best and I was dangerously close to, to burnout on this last run. It was an awesome season, but it was just continually going and I, I loved every minute of it, but I was also to the point where when I got home and I knew it was that last trip, I just, I think I slept like 18 or 19 hours that first day. And I've just been focused on refueling with food and hanging out with, with family and with my new, my new puppy as well as shades doing all that good stuff. So I guess just to start, I'm going to probably dive in here on some of these podcast questions from a little bit, uh, a little bit further back. And I'm just going to start at the top and then work through a few of these, maybe see, uh, where these things go. And, uh, then I want to jump into what's happening with, uh, and I may end up answer these questions if you've asked them, but uh, might as well talk a little bit about uh, School of Knock, what my plans are for that session. Um, for now, jump into last year's School of Knock. Honestly, that's where I'm starting right now. Um, I'm going to start with working on some of those few things. Obviously, just getting some repetition is the name of the game right now. I am pulled my bow back a few times. In the last few days, I say that probably 40 to 50 times a day at the most. Uh, have a little bit of, you know, fatigue that is to be expected. Kind of a lot of, well, I should say a lot. Yeah, definitely not kind of, but definitely a lot of movement in the front sight. I'm still, I'm still shooting decent. You know, if you're looking at where the arrows are landing. So I'm posting pictures of my targets and, um, and I realize that for people out there who are really eager to get their first 300, uh, shot on paper, uh, I know that if you see the target I've posted a few for the last few days, the target looks, it looks pretty good, but what it's taken for me to get those arrows to, to land down there is way more work than what. Um, I want to happen so my efficiency and just comfort behind the bow all that stuff is is going to take some time and I'm going to talk through that as I go uh, but why don't I jump into some questions here for a little bit go from there get you guys caught up on some of the stuff you wanted to know about and then if we miss any gaps I'll fill in but my plan is to be consistent here with podcasts get a bunch out here before the new year for you guys and we'll get caught up. I know it's been a month or so where, you know, been a little bit lagging, but there were a few times did some podcasts, you know, lost the files, did some podcasts. Um, someone else wanted to use them, etc. So that's how it goes. But let's jump into the f f question at the top from Jay Tang, what's up, dude? I met you last year at the TAC. You won a gold and silverback. 
and you're doing a good job posting school and knock stuff. I do follow along. Um, you're asking a big question to kick it off. Where will I see you at TAC next year? So, da da da, da big announcement. Um, for TAC 2020, Knock On will have, um, as of right now, we'll have four Knock On ranges. Um, the plan is we will be at, there'll be a Knock On range in Pennsylvania. There'll be a Knock On range in San Antonio, Texas. There'll be a Knock On range in... Uh, should be one in Big Sky if we can pull that off with the mountain bikers. And then there'll be one again at Park City. Uh, each of those stops, obviously, we're going to try to roll in with the brigade. I'll try to, uh, I'll try to space out, uh, you know, quote unquote, celebrity friends to come and hang out. They're obviously, you know, welcome to come to all of them, but the plan is to, to pull the trailer, uh, be accompanied by a really awesome uh, group of partners. So there's some really big things coming there. And, you know, I want to make sure everybody else kind of gets to announce it as as we can uh, continue that planning with Sean. But ideally, the plan is that um, the Total Archery Challenge and the sponsors that are part of it, are all gonna really team together to team together to make even a better uh, kind of experience for everybody. I know that the shooting has always been awesome, but we're gonna try to you know make it a little bit more than that and bring together a, a lot of that vibe that you guys got to see through my social media. So it's gonna be cool if you're out on the Northeast. We're coming, Pennsylvania. Make sure you guys sign up for that when it's announced. I don't think it's, I don't totally think it's all been announced yet, but it's going to be getting close here. Texas is going to be an awesome event. Um, I can tell you that we're going to be doing something special down there for military as well. Um, there's some huge things in the work for Total Archery Challenge as well as what we're going to be doing. So you can expect. You can expect us to be on the road uh, for these tacks, building these ranges, getting um, the Knock On Nation uh, to be part of that if you want to be and kind of join in on the fun and then also have plans to stop and have some really awesome uh, consumer events or community events in between those routes so yeah we will be on tour and it's going to be awesome for all of you out there that have have wanted to to come and be part of that and obviously um, this isn't going to be something that i'm trying to make money on this is going to be uh, this is going to be an experience for us to to get to meet all of you out there and have a, a freaking great time um, let's see here <laughs> Best part about living in Iowa? Well, not it's not right now when the when it's freezing cold and hardly any snow on the ground and it's it's the second gun season. Uh, that's definitely not the best part. I think the best part about living here is the people and I don't know just the it's convenience too. Um, honestly, where I'm at, I'm just um, 
kind of in the I'm southeast of Des Moines so where I'm at it we're able to to kind of enjoy Des Moines Iowa which is a cool little town um, West Des Moines is developing really nice uh, we have a lot of a lot of good times over there Sharon and I enjoy happy hours uh, when we can do them and obviously for the last two or three weeks that's been a focus catching up on happy happy hour time uh, but obviously the hunting is great um, that's why we moved here we came here to be able to sell what property I had you know accumulated in Iowa or I'm sorry in Wisconsin and when I wanted to be able to make you know a step up from that I was looking everywhere and one of the things that stood out was the cost of land in Iowa was a little bit you know more re it, I guess it was more reasonable than Illinois um, or Minnesota and it gave you the ability to actually use more tags as a resident so I really wanted to find something down here just because I really enjoy not having to to travel as much as what you might think. During November, if I can stay home and experience, you know, really fun whitetail hunting from home and not really have to move around, that's what I prefer. So uh, that's been what I've been getting. I was able to, to get a little bit more property in Iowa than what I had in Wisconsin and just kind of continue to build on being able to have a little bit of a farm. I do a little bit of row cropping, not a lot, but I do have the ability to do some, uh, you know, some, some grassland projects, which is kind of fun. And then the people are just awesome here. There's, I just continue to, to meet just awesome, awesome people. And I knew I was, in a a cool state the first week that I moved here because I went to get my driver's license and went into the DMV had had the I think the lady asked me you know if I had this 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 and this to get my driver's license and a lot of that there's no way that I could have had it yet because some of it I needed the driver's license in order to get this this or this I forget what they were but I finally just kind of told her I'm like listen I'm a resident here's you know I've got my I've got my kids school here's all my you know my kids school information we're going to school he signed you know here's where he signed up for the team and and you know I was able to get a driver's license even though I didn't have all the stuff that I needed on me at the time so it was pretty cool just to see someone that was really friendly and kind of understood and uh, I certainly hadn't had that experience with uh, DMVs and in other states I've lived in. So that kind of stood out right away. Just really good people. Obviously, uh, amazing hunting. More reasonable costs on, on land. But a big reason for that is non-residents, um, they can't hunt as, they can't get resident deer tech, or you can't buy a non-resident landowner tag so if you live in wisconsin and buy land in iowa you still have to wait for your draw in iowa even though you own property here so 
that's a big that's kind of a big pushback for people to not buy land or buy farms in Iowa because it could take you four to five years to to be able to hunt on your own land. So it's pretty cool. Um, I like I like that policy, and obviously it, it makes you commit to moving here, which is which is what I did. Uh, let's see here. Uh, best rage broadhead, seventy pounds with an axis arrow. Phew, that's hard. I shot, you know, I shot tripans just as equally as I shot the no collars, and that's really why we offer both at the store because. I'm a big believer in both of those broadheads. They're even though I like the convenience of not having a collar, that tripan just absolutely devastates stuff and I can't make up my mind. I don't want to even though that they have an update on the design and you have the no collar option, I just feel guilty going away from that broadhead all together because that original tripan has been just so awesome for me so i carry one or i carry two two of one and two of the other in my bra in my uh quiver all the time so there's times where i've loaded a no collar on and shot it and didn't even know that that's what i had shot and there's times where i shot the tripan and then once I got down there, you know, find my arrow, I'm like, ooh, tripan, devastation, or, you know, no collar, devastation. So it's uh, it's been a toss-up, a coin toss continually, which broadhead I use. But I do like both of those. If you're, if you're a lower-pounded shooter, you know, if you're s- someone that's shooting uh, – you know, 50 to 60 pounds in there, or you have a a shorter draw length at that lower poundage, um, that Muzzy Trocar is an awesome head. It really is. Uh, Or I think it's like a Muzzy 1 is an awesome head too. It's more of a cut on impact uh, head. And that's what Sharon and Harry use. If you're using lower poundage or if you have kids or women that are, have shorter draw lengths then you know look at a fixed blade head just because you're instantly cutting and you are going to get a little bit better penetration but you're not obviously you're not going to have the devastation so there's a slight trade-off but i'm a i'm a big believer in that tripan and the no collar for anyone else it's that's shooting you know kind of the average to above average setups for you know arrows and speed etc how long do you recommend practicing before your first bow hunt you know I feel like people should they should definitely take time to to do that now when I went out with uh, when I went out with Tyler Stark for the videos that we did archery 101 and archery 102 for the YouTube channels um, Tyler literally came here grabbed a bow went through shooting processes started executing good shots had a full day of practice and then we took him out to shoot a first uh, his first animal which was a wild hog um, but overall I think the more dedication you put in 
obviously the more ethical I think you're being. Um, I was real. I wasn't going to let Tyler hunt unless I knew he could execute a good shot. And it was, it was, it was pretty clear that he could do that. I mean, we shot for a couple different sessions. We'd shoot for a little bit. And when he, I could see he got tired, we'd stop. And then once we decided to actually let him go out and, and hunt, we were in a very fixed uh, position. We were, we weren't going to take long shots. It was, you know, 20 yards or less. Uh, we, we actually set up a tree stand and we, you know, put corn out and we're passionate about, okay, don't take a shot, Tyler, unless they're right here. You're going to wait for a cording away shot, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what he did. So it's not like he went out and had a whole bunch of unknown variables that were happening of, you know, not knowing which direction the animal was coming from and having to reposition yourself on the stand or draw back, you know, on something like a whitetail that's, you know, way more, I guess, movement conscious. Um, so I feel like if you start out with something like, you know, hogs or for Sharon and Harry, they started out on turkeys, um, and hog, you know, went from turkeys then to hogs. It's kind of a nice progression because hogs, you can get away with movement if you're in a stand and they're kind of coming there and they're really focused on eating corn. They're just corn eating machines. And then for turkeys, they're coming in to the decoys. You're in a blind, so you can, you know, they're not sound conscious. So you're able to talk and communicate and here's the shot you need. Kind of, you know, aim right in there, blah, blah, blah. And it was, it was convenient to be able to have that communication. So I think that's the best place to start. But from a practice point of view, you really have to know where you're at and where your confidence is at based on how much personal training you got when you started and how committed you are to actually doing that. If you're not fully committed to shooting your bow or you're not fully committed to, to seeing progression, for example, there's some people I see that man, they go out and shoot every single day. There's no question. They are passionate about shooting and they just shoot and shoot and shoot. But you can tell they, you know, might have target panic. They might have some, some technical errors that they're making. Um, maybe not doing their due diligence following through with, even though I'm shooting my bow, am I, am I consulting with people that can help me make sure my techniques in check, et cetera, or, you know, just look at what you're doing on the target. If you're missing your whole target, butt and you know, you're going through arrows because you're not able to be consistent on the target, then obviously you don't want to go out and sling an arrow at something that's alive. So if you're able to be consistent on the target, and you feel like your comfort level is consistent, then I would recommend getting out there and letting it happen. One of the things that's really, really awesome for hunters to get to experience is that total archery challenge that we talked about at the beginning. There's a lot of them. It's worth practicing, getting a bow, you know, sighted in, 
with all of your pins and going out to one of these total archery challenges and, and really experiencing what these shoots are like because one they are they are a lot more like hunting situations where you don't have perfect shooting lanes you're not uh you know you're able to you're able to see some real life type shots and you're also able to push your boundaries of how far you can shoot and how accurate you really are when everything isn't perfect like when you don't have perfect footing or when you don't have the ability to have perfect lighting on your site or perfect lighting on the target so um, they're the best preps that I've found it's just awesome awesome prep you're able to communicate talk through your mistakes and you know and if you sign up you're able to if you're able to shoot targets more than one time too so um, that's really the best prep out there. If you can practice for a little bit, make sure you're being consistent on your target, you're confident with your sight marks, then from there, you know, maybe go to one event where you just, you're able to, to see some targets in some hunting presentations and be able to go out and just learn, learn where you, where you made some mistakes. Honestly, it's hard to say what you, what you're going to learn, but if you go out there and shoot some, then you're going to learn. I know that for me, I went out on the, I think it was the last day, uh, last year at park city. And we did a charity shoot with black rifle. And even though I'd shot for a few days before that, when I went out for that day, um, I made a couple stupid, stupid mistakes on that, uh, on that round. And I mean, you can go out and see them. I wasn't, I wasn't perfect in where I was hitting compared to other days, but what happened was I had a, a range finder that I ran out of batteries on for the first day. And then I went out there with the different range finder and realized I was getting slightly different yardages on my cuts and um, was just being so dependent on what just my rangefinder said. And then once I kind of had some consistency in where I was hitting, which wasn't exactly where I was aiming, I kind of double-checked mine with someone else's and then realized, oh, this thing is not calibrated the same as what I came out here with for the first couple days. So... I made mistakes and you know obviously that's something that I identified and the next month when I went hunting I made sure that on my hunting trips I had two range finders with me that were both calibrated to hit the same numbers when I was range finding so um, it was it was a good learning curve for me all right let's see here any trusted bow shops in your old stomping grounds in Illinois? I'm a new archer, about eight months of practice. It's been a hard to find a shop that wants to take the time with the right adjustments. Um, you know, it's hard, obviously, to know what every single shop around the country is like. I know there's tons of awesome ones. Um, like I said before, one of the things that I would recommend is, and this is a good time of year to do this, make sure you just communicate with your shop that, you know, you want to 
to take that extra step above what they're doing for people that are just coming in buying setups that you want to have some one-on-one -on -one time that you want to make sure that you know you have um as good of personal attention and personal contact as possible and just ask them flat out you know is there a slower time of the year or slower time of the week where I can come in and really have some one-on-one -on -one time and, you know, ask a little bit more questions and have someone really watch me in the shop. And then also say, you know, who, who is the archery expert here? You know, there's not, there's not always multiple guys that are on the highest level. Usually there's a few guys that are really good and, they can't keep up and they hire other people and they're doing their best to train them. Uh, but I think if you go into those shops and just tell them flat out, Hey, I want whoever's, you know, your, your number one tech, I would love to have some time with them. Is there any way I could schedule that? You know, I'm, I would, I'll come in when it's a slow period or, you know, who knows, maybe they'll, maybe they'll let you have some one-on-one -on -one time before the archery shop opens or, or, when it closes or, you know, a lot of archery shops right now are, are needing business. So they may come in and get and start having some one-on-one -on -one time on the days where maybe the doors aren't open to the public, uh, from a retail point of view. So my recommendation is to ask that, um, I can't, I can't keep up with the shops. I know that this next year I do want to, make a, a valiant effort to uh to head to some shops and just to hang out and do some you know do a little bit of training for their guys if they want it or training uh my plan is with the with our trailers to to be able to be mobile this summer and make some stops along the way and post where we're going to be and if if people want to just come and have a a free you know parking lot seminar then come on you know throw a knock on hat on and you're there you're in so um that's the plan but i don't know of any that i can 100 percent vouch for right now because they change too they change fast and and i'm not i don't know i'm not the one that can keep up and there's you know there's good shops with multiple brands um I've been in shops that, you know, I'll, I'll see, I'll be in an area and I'll see a sign that says archery shop. And then I just walk in as a consumer, walk around, look around. There's shops that aren't Hoyt dealers that are great shops. There's shops that aren't Matthews dealers that are great shops. There's shops that aren't PSE dealers that are great shops. Um, and I can't, you know, I know the shops that I've worked with through uh, the Hoyt dealers, but there's also a lot of shops that are in between those gaps because not everybody can sell every bow line. Most of them have protected areas. So these bow shops, uh, they're selling what they can sell in their area a lot of times. So it's a little bit of a, I don't know, a little bit of a catch 22. Uh, let's see here. Keeping your feet warm, climber, ladder stand hunting, and 20 to 40 degree sits, what uh, what to layer under a fanatic to stay warm in those temps? It was pretty chilly this weekend. Um, well, when it comes to, to 
footwear and pardon me for a second I gotta flush my nostrils hold on sorry about that I'm draining um, what I do is I'll always have full wool socks I go out and you know read the labels sometimes they're tricky about you know calling their their socks like you know wool tech or something like that I like a full wool sock um, they're great for for limiting odor as well honestly are they a little scratchier on your feet yes um, but when it comes to warmth they're awesome and then I go on Amazon I type in UGG UGG uh, men's insoles and then you're gonna see um, UGG boots like all the ladies wear uh, they have insoles for men that are you know that sheep uh, the full sheep wool type insoles I'll put those inside of some Alpha Burley 1600s and I do really well obviously high winds uh, uh, a metal tree stand at the bottom of your feet definitely, definitely radiates cold. But that's been my number one warmest go-to. Uh, and then on the on the other side, for your you know kind of your outerwear. When I was in um, Oklahoma for that last hunt that I was doing with Dude Perfect, we it was pretty cold and the and wind like blowing right on you. Uh, I was in like pop-up blinds is what they were, you know, what kind of what was set up there. Um, by the, I think we went with some guys, uh, that were with whitetail properties and I had wind just blowing straight in on me. And it was a little bit chilly that first morning cause I hadn't really, you know, planned for it. But then what I did was I wore the um, the heavyweight wool, um, and then I wore the fanatic top, um, which obviously is like the it's a heavier weight um, insulation layer, and then I wore a shacket underneath and then I wore the fanatic and honestly I was kind of overly hot so the next time I took the fanatic top off and I just carried in um, a black I think it was I'm trying to think what they called that jacket it's more of a fleece jacket it doesn't have a wind layer but um, it worked really well and with bibs I just stay so much warmer with bibs I did have the fanatic bibs on and with the Fanatic bibs, all I had on was one layer of the heavyweight um, wool and then one layer of the heavyweight synthetic and then the bibs. That's all I had on for, for the bottoms. And then I always get calf high um, or almost like knee high wool socks, by the way. So I do have a, a sock that goes as high up my leg as possible and I really feel like that helps a lot as well so um, hopefully that helps you out honestly once you start to understand how 
the SICA system works, you realize you're not having to be like um, Ralphie's little brother from Christmas Story walking around hunting anymore. Um, the Fanatic set, if you have, you know, some good base layers, the Fanatic, especially like for me with the bibs, because the bibs come up, they, they kind of hold a lot of internal or like your core temperature. And then the outer jacket, you know, is, is pretty dang, pretty dang hot and toasty as it is. If you just have, you know, the correct layering underneath for me personally, I like to have a heavyweight base layer, honestly, right over the top of my heavyweight base layer is where I wear my hex. Um, then I'll put on like a fanatic hoodie that way I've got, you know, I really like the fanatic hoodies cause you can flip the little fleece muffs over your hands. If you're, if you're not wearing gloves all the time, then you've got your, your insulated hood to put up or your face mask. And then obviously you can put a vest over the top of that or that fanatic jacket. And it's more than enough for me i've done really well with that um next question here and i haven't been reading who these were from but next question anyway is from snow snow i ski snow and skiing 87 i don't know it's hard i don't know if that's an actual last name or if it's something clever so i don't really know when people make these cool instagram names where you should enunciate but you're asking for post rut tactics so yeah i've got another tag i can go put to use here pretty soon um and i'm sure that i will so i've had this question um many times over the last two weeks it seems like now that i'm not hunting i've become um the person the person to ask by my friends of where should i go today i don't know where you should go you know i just tell them all the same thing post rut they're going to be food or cover just like me you know i've told i've told everyone i'm the same thing i'm like hey if 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 uh anyone wanted to you know put a hitman on me right now it's pretty easy you know happy hours or bed that's pretty much where it's at. I'm, you know, I was depleted. I was down about, I don't know, probably 16 pounds of muscle mass was soft in areas I don't like to be soft in and shriveled up. I was, my arms were, I had, my arms were like knocking around in my, in my sleeve cuffs. You know, I felt like I had some shriveled up, shriveled up guns or someone had stretched out all my sleeves or something and yeah i wasn't really liking it and so obviously i'm recuperating trying to sleep trying to eat clean and just trying to i don't know rebuild and start over again that's what these bucks are going to be doing too they're going to be they're going to be going to food they're going to be while they're there they're going to be scent checking probably a few does nonchalantly um to see if there's any you know post rut secondary uh secondary estrus does coming in 
but for the most part, they're just going to be coming to food, coming to grain. If you've got standing beans, standing corn, if you have any types of plots that aren't snow covered, uh, you know, if you have turnips that that are frozen and now turned to sugar and, and they're exposed and there's still some left, that's where they're going to be. Um, I've often said, this is another project I've really considered to do, but honestly probably one I will never do just because it would be really hard to force myself to do it. The uh, the workers whitetail experiment that I did this year through Instagram was one that I've wanted to do for a long time, which was, you know, just find five hours a day and hunt. And maybe it's not the prime time hours. Maybe it's just you know I can I can only pick and choose one time a day to go out for a few hours. What time would that be? So that's why I kind of went with that nine to two plan and you know yeah it worked out it was peak of the rut and it did work out um another thing that i've considered doing or i believe that you could do is i've often said that if i didn't try to hunt at all in november then i feel like i could probably fill all my buck tags during the opening few days of the late season at least here in Iowa you know once once it gets cold and a lot of those deer get pushed into areas where there's denser bedding and then also areas where you can have food this is something that you should plan for um, and prepare for so I have areas where I have green plots and there's spots that are good for you know, early season, as well as they're good for that pre-rut, you know, right at the rut time when it comes to food source. But then there's areas, once it's rut, I'll get into the areas where there's, there, there is some food source there that's, that's something a doe can pop into, or something where the does have higher concentrations. But there's also thick bedding real close like pretty much right there and i've in some places i've created that habitat um so that those bucks can still you know come up and get those does and kind of keep those does in those thickets and stuff like that now during the late season if you know that you have a place that has good cover to where during the, those gun seasons, your your local deer kind of head to for safety, or if it's a place that you can you can give that or offer that to the deer, you know, have these areas that are super thick, and maybe you don't, you know, maybe you don't apply a lot of pressure. Then if you can build something to where you have food there late, or in some states if you can if you can you know bait then obviously you're making it even even easier um you know i had some some people i was talking to um in ohio that was asking you know what should i do what should i do what should i do and i just kind of made it really simple it's like it's cold it's late season uh if you don't have a lot of property to hunt and you don't have anything that you're patterning your best bet is to put a bunch of corn down and you know put some cameras out and see where you can find a late season buck that's in need of 
you know, refueling and getting easy calories and then take advantage of it when, when the conditions are right. So for late season, that's what I'll do. I have, I have one small area that's got like three acres of grain. I rotate grain each year. This year I've got beans. Last year it was corn, just rotates back and forth. But I just have this one spot that's kind of in the center of, you know, a bunch of dense timber and and uh, cedars and stuff like that where the deer naturally go and bed and they feel safe. And they will bed close to food if it's there. And they'll also travel a long way to food if they don't have it where they're used to bedding. So I'm just hunting. If you've If you've ever watched the YouTube channel and seen some of the the late season bucks that I'm that I've shot in snow or so forth it's on grain and that's what I'll do and a lot of times just to give you a little bit of strategy um, if I am hunting on the food source I hunt a little bit weird hours again just like what I did for the workers whitetail experiment um, what I found is when it gets frozen and loud and crunchy, it's really hard to go into those food sources in the morning and be able to get in there without blowing everything out. So what I do is I try to just uh, monitor cameras and see when that field is starting to liven up for the afternoon hunt. And then I try to get in there about an hour and a half before that first activity. So. Honestly, during this time of year, I'll be going out about 12 o'clock or 12.30 in the morning, or not in the morning, in the afternoon, and then I'll, you know, hunt that four and a half to five hours uh, in the evening, and one of the things, if you want to be successful right now, that could really help is a partner system. Um, I've talked a lot about being able to have people do bumps, um, which is when you're hunting on a food source and you're there, especially when you're there in the evening, everything's coming to food. So once it gets past legal shooting light and you have to get out, you know, one of the things that's going to really reduce your odds is when you have to get out and evacuate that whole field with your presence uh, walking out of your stand. So what I like to do is I'll have a buddy, uh, buddy system program where I'll, you know, maybe I'll switch off with, with a buddy where I hunt certain days, he hunts certain days, but we actually just drop each other off at the, at our spots. So we can drive in there with the tractor or drive in there with the truck, get dropped off, drive out, um, and maybe it's a spot where you can actually walk in without blowing stuff out. But when it comes to exiting, you need to be able to to come in there when all those you know deer at that food source. You need to be able to have something come in there that's more natural to them to evacuate that area. And for me, I found that you know just a truck or a tractor works the best so i'll go out and and just call them be like hey you know i'm ready come get me and then just let them drive in and you know the deer kind of you know look around and then you see them all kind of trotting off but you just don't put near the pressure than if you get out of your stand or get out of your blind and and they feel that pressure that 
they've felt for the last several weeks during the gun season they're gonna they're gonna feel that again but late season food is the name of the game if you don't have food then you know being in that bedding area um is gonna be great for morning hunts because they're gonna be coming back to that bedding from a food source and the food source is probably going to be pretty dang concentrated if if you're able to uh if you're able to locate some places where you see high numbers of deer on a food source obviously the ticket is figuring out where those things are going to bed down and there is going to be some consistency to it and the closer we get to january at least here in the midwest the more consistent that food to bedding will get um, if you're in the south obviously right now this is getting to be prime time it was always my favorite to hunt down in mississippi between christmas and new year's that's you know like prime time down there to, to be out and seem to be the time when i always saw the the big ones so if you're in the midwest get on food if you're down south, at least right now when this podcast is coming out, obviously this is the time to be in the thickets and, and get uh, getting some of the rut activity. Uh, next question here is from, let's see, Charles, Charles Redman, I think, it's, I think it is, um, is asking about seated shots on whitetail and how to draw an anchor honestly i was doing this just yesterday for fun uh in my morning practice i had practiced for a little bit and started to get tired so i i ended up making a cup of coffee and was kind of just letting let myself settle down and and you know let my stamina rebuild a little bit before I shot a few more ends and that actually brings me to a good point um, right now I'm not in the I'm not in the shape to go out and make good shots for a full round I you know I, I it honestly it took me a few shots to find a quote-unquote good shot and I can tell once I'm shooting that third or fourth arrow after five or six or seven ends i'm not near as dynamic on the back wall of my cam and i f maybe feel like i'm aiming a little bit too long etc and i'll i'll end up letting down trying to get a good shot but once i feel myself doing that during these first weeks i'm not afraid to to maybe not be in the habit of shooting four arrows, go down, come back, shoot four arrows, go down, come back. I might go over, have a little bit of coffee, maybe scroll through, you know, scroll through some text, scroll through my phone, etc., and then then step back to the line and try to finish with good quality shots. Because one of the things you need to to focus on right now is we're training to polish up any type of poor habit that we've had and during the hunting season that is the number one place where you start to forget steps and rush through your shot routine so you really want to 
be able to, you really want to be able to slow down, recharge, and focus on if I'm going to make a shot, I want it to be a good one. You know, there's times where you can tell you're moving around a lot. You might have been in the pocket a little bit too long. And right now, these are the times where some of the best shots you can make is identifying that it's not a good shot and letting the bow down and waiting for you to recharge so you can make a good shot. If you can do that, then you're making progress. So I was in the process of doing a little bit of a recharge. I had shot, you know, I don't know, maybe I shot six, seven, eight ends in a row, and I could feel like, you know, my last arrow each round was kind of getting a little bit worse and worse. So then what I did was I just made a made a cup of coffee, ended up having that cup of coffee, and then I was getting ready to to start shooting again but as I was kind of thinking about finishing my round I looked over and saw one of my chairs from from my blinds in the range and it was just bugging me that it was sitting over there out of place but it, obviously I'd brought it in from a hunt and just set it over there during the season and then I thought you know what I'm gonna just make a couple shots from a seated position just to just to see what's going on and put uh, a block target down there and I just sat in my blind chair in my range and drew back and made several shots and I sat there and thought you know I don't talk about this enough I really need to tell people that you know if they're wanting to if they're always hunting out of a blind that sometimes what you need to do is just you know take one of those chairs set it out on the back deck and put your archery target out there and practice from that position and that's really the best way to do it um you know honestly if you're seated the correct way then your anchor and your peep alignment are going to be the same as when you're standing you really want to have your knees facing straight forward of your shoulders just like if you were standing you know presenting that target you know right to your left just imagine you know well what you could do is you could go in front of your chair you can stand just like how I talk about when you look down at your feet you want your your front foot toe in line with your rear foot the main ball of your foot so that way you have just a slight neutral stance and if you have that then just go ahead and sit down and that's going to allow your hips to be directly underneath your shoulders and then you can make your shot and this is one thing that's important because I'm trying to think where I was but I was with someone um, and we were in a blind and they were hunting, and as we kind of got position in that blind, they were sitting forward looking out the window. And I I asked them, I said, how are you going to shoot like that? And they just said, I don't know, it's just always, you know, I've always sat like this. What do you mean? And I'm like, well, if you have to shoot right now, do you, are you twisting your shoulders all the way like away from your knees in order to to shoot and he said yeah i've never thought about it but yeah that is that is what i do 
I said, man, when you get in a blind, I said, you need to be able to have it so that your, you know, your knees are almost pointing out the side window and your shoulders, you know, the line of your shoulders are pointing out your shooting window just just like if you were to stand to shoot a target that's what you need to do otherwise you're shooting across your body and if you're shooting across your body then yeah it's definitely going to feel awkward and feel uncomfortable and also your ability to aim because you're you're going to be fighting against your torso that's trying to return back to center so pretend like you're standing facing the target to shoot when you're in that position, just bend your knees and sit down and sit on a chair um, and practice from it. If you do that, you're going to get way more comfortable uh, drawing and anchoring. But you should be able to do it exactly the same if you were standing. I tell people a lot, if you're not able to draw your bow and um, and let your bow down from a seated position, then you're, you're pu- pulling too much weight. Uh, weight and that's one thing I used to tell people when they came in the archery shop and they were trying to tell me what poundage bow they would they wanted to shoot I would just have them sit down in a chair and I'd just say okay go ahead and pull this bow back and if they would have to lift the bow way high in the air and pull down and you know contort themselves to get the bow back I'd just say that's too much you know, you need to be able to just lift the bow up, point it at the target, and pull that string directly back to you. If you can do it from a from a seated position, then you're going to be um, you're going to be in good shape. Um, all right, well, we're getting close to the one hour mark here, so I'm gonna just talk a little bit about uh, where I'm at from my the indoor shooting and what my plan is. So this year, my plan is to kind of go through some of that school and knock stuff. If you're on Instagram and this is, I think today is, I think today is the 16th or something of December. So I'm about two weeks later than normal for when I kick, kick in gear. I'm going to take a couple weeks to to just be adamant about shooting a little bit every single day. And um, once I'm once I'm actually doing that and I'm doing it decent, then I'm going to bring you a knocked and ready to rock segment. And what I want to do or I'm not a knocked and ready to rock, a uh, school knock segment. What I want to do this year because I have so many friends that are asking me uh, to like start some type of a target type routine. So my plan is to, to take a hunting bow and make, I want to walk you through the steps of taking a hunting bow and making it target ready. So we're going to make a few changes to a target or a hunting bow to get it a little bit more refined for target shooting and that way we can put a little bit more attention on shooting indoors really working on technique but also really starting to give yourself a baseline for how accurate you you can be if you are maybe 
having a little bit more of a target oriented bow setup um, and then work on improving on what you're doing for for accuracy and then also obviously having proper shooting technique and proper form as well um, right now for me I'm just uh, doing my best to to get back into shooting shape I I shot a lot leading up to the total archery challenge events I felt like I you know I trained really heavy through uh, June July and you know that first part of our August and then I went right into hunting season on August 17th and then other other than that training I shot some at camps you know shoot a few arrows in the morning um and then occasionally I'd you know shoot for a little bit more extended time if a bunch of the guys would be out just plinking around um on certain days but for the most part my numbers of arrows during the whole hunting season were probably equal to what I did in some single days in July so I just need to get the numbers going right now and just focusing on small things someone asked the question you know which release should or do I use for indoor season you know do I do I only use a silverback or do I or, or am I only going to use the too smooth and the truth is for the last two days of practice I've just shot the knock to it because there's a couple things I think are important for people one I can only absorb so much new information at one time and my body is probably at that same capacity where if I if I go to a target bow so I am shooting my last year's target model um, and the reason I'm doing that is because once again I'm trying to change less but also I'm trying to change less so that I can get more out of the things that I know I really need and I need to polish my technique I need to polish my form um, I don't want to have some too much stuff that's different so my target bow is lower poundage so it's allowing me to shoot more more reps honestly it's easier on it's easier on my body um, you know, once it gets up to the point where I'm shooting a hundred or so a day, that that's harder to do with a, a full hunting model that, you know, is higher poundage. Um, and I'm for these first few weeks, I just keep some of the stuff, the exact same, my release being one of them, because I'm really just wanting to pull back, focus on the steps that I talk about, um, in the school knock, you know, I'm just trying to, to kind of, take note of you know things like my stance and grip and anchor and peep alignment front shoulder position you know I'm thinking about those things but I'm not drilling myself on them so I'm not like immediately going into full-blown hard checklist stuff I'm I'm going in there I'm thinking okay I really want to just focus on I just want to focus on trying to make some some good shots I want to cancel the shots that suck and 
ideally I would love to find a few shots where they feel really good and try to think about them and remember them and, and try to ingrain that into my mind of this is what I want to feel. Okay, man, that shot felt just like I remember they used to feel like. Um, I want to duplicate that. And I probably had four to five shots yesterday out of 40 or 50 arrows that I pulled back. Everything felt effortless and just everything just clicked. And the shot broke and the arrow went right in the center, you know. So I'm, to be honest, 10%. You know, I had 10% of my shots were what I refer to as a 10. So during the school of knock segments, and you can find those on the YouTube channel. Um, we talked about finding your 10. So I know what my 10 feels like. I found a 10, 10% of the time during my first, well, technically it was my second practice session. Uh, I got it 10% of the time. Uh, obviously I want to improve on that each time. And then once I get to the point where I feel like my body is comfortable pulling that lower poundage back, um, you know, looking through a little bit smaller peep sight, actually finding my 10, one arrow each round, not, you know, one arrow every couple round or sometimes two or three arrows in a row. Once I'm not doing that, then I feel like at that point, I'm going to transition into those other releases. Um, because right now I don't feel any anxiety putting my thumb on my knock to it and pulling through my shot. I'm totally cool with that. Now, if I felt like I was going into this, this training season with a bad case of the yips, then yeah, I would highly recommend you having a slightly different process in mind. And, and honestly, probably going to a blank bale, you know, getting, uh, your two smooth or your silver back and remove the sight, remove the, you know, aiming at a bullseye part of the equation completely out and just focus on drawing back, letting off the safety, pulling through the shot and, you know, executing that way and not, not putting any emphasis on, um, on score or anything like that. Obviously, if you're struggling with that, limiting your your people around you is going to really help that too because having people watch you with that is a is a stress multiplier and you're probably not wanting to put yourself in that position right now. So uh but for me, I'm going to just do these simple things. I'm going to work on getting to the point where I can go in and shoot 40 or 50 arrows and I don't have to take a couple coffee breaks. And I feel like the next day, like today, today I'm going to go shoot here in a minute. Um, but I, I, I definitely feel some soreness that I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to deal with. So, uh, I want to get to the point where I don't have that as well. You know, I want to get up and say, okay, I'm going to go to the range and I don't really feel the 40 arrows that I shot yesterday. And once that happens for me personally, at that point, I will 
transition back to the silverback and the two smooth. I'll, I'll end up warming up with my silverbacks every day. And then I'll go to working with the two smooth. One of the things that I'm going to talk about this year in the school knock segment is what a hinge release brings to the table and what you could um, what you could learn by using one of those during practice. So, uh, and I'll do that naturally once I'm personally doing that too. So that's one of the things that I think is important. Last time when I did the school knock, I walked you through, this is what I'm working on. Um, and so this year I'm going to work on doing that school knock just like I normally do. And then I'm going to work on some additional things as I get deeper into my target season. So that's what I want all of you to do. Get out there, start getting in the reps, start on that week one, work through that. And then, you know, once we're getting through, um, I would say the halfway mark of the school knock from last year, then we're going to be able to start doing some things where we're not necessarily focusing on the, the little details um, of the shot aspect compared to last year. We're going to bring in some other little things to work on, like, you know, what's my mindset with the hinge? Um, you know, we're going to start talking about what happens when I start changing my aiming apparatuses or my PDAP, my peep apertures. Um, we're going to start actually working on identifying cause and effect type things, but you need to be in shape in order to do that. You know, I don't want you, um, it'd be like, it'd be like me saying, all right, we're going to, you know, we're going to go out and test out three different bikes, uh, today during this, during our, you know, during our fitness class, but yet you're there on new year's resolution and haven't even pedaled a mile yet, you know? So make sure you're in shape and you're out there, you're shooting, getting these numbers in and get your baseline back to where, you know, you were last year. And at that point, we're going to start incorporating some new things and identifying, um, some new cause and effects. That's my plan. But in the meantime, uh, I'm going to be hitting the range and I'll be sharing with all of you how I do. Honestly, today's my third day. There's a coin toss. I feel like I could easily go in and have a pretty good day. Um, just because I did find a lot more tens yesterday than the other day, but there's also a chance that, uh, that this little bit of fatigue that I'm feeling and soreness is, um, going to be a little bit of a struggle to work through and the good thing is I feel like by the third day of fitness always the third day of starting something new is normally when I'm the sorest and then if I work through that soreness then from there it just continues to climb and I feel like I'm you know today's going to be the worst of it hopefully I can go out and practice and 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 make it through it and yeah what I may do is take a little bit more time between ends to to have some of those breaks so I am still making good shots even though I'm working through the soreness um, and then obviously after 
this week, I should be able to go in there and put 40 or 50 arrows downrange without even thinking about it and, and work higher up in the numbers. So we'll be back. Knock on podcasts officially up and going. Got some friends coming into town. So there'll be some podcasts uh, dropping here over the next several days. So knock on, everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.